We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to build the perfect dynasty league. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, the Super Bowl is this week. Right after the Super Bowl, there are a lot of people thinking about dynasty. The next big event on the NFL calendar is the combine. It's, you know, it's full on rookie season. Obviously you guys have the rookie guide out, which is a tremendous, uh, a tremendous resource for people in dynasty leagues and people in redraft, as I talked about last week on the show, but right after the Super Bowl, a lot of people think about doing dynasty leagues, think about doing startups. You mentioned, we get a lot of questions uh, mentioned to me before the show, we get a lot of questions that, uh, you know, people are wondering sort of, what they should do, how they should structure it, how they should build out their league. So we want to talk a little bit today about some of our favorite elements of, of Dynasty Leagues, right? We do. And we have people asking us to look out for leagues for them and, and what's the most fun thing to play? What element do you have to have? And so we're kind of thinking about that and it'd be fun to do a show on it. And obviously, so many of these kinds of things, I've been lucky enough to play in a lot of leagues that Ryan McDowell has been the commissioner for and he's got lots of great ideas and so many of the ideas that we discussed today will come from things that he has done and we'll also obviously bring our own flair to it but then before we get into that you did mention the rookie guide you mentioned that it's useful in some of these other leagues as well Blair Andrews and I just finished our never too early best ball league with the FFPC the 20 round format that's running up until the draft that was an absolute blast. I'll have some commentary on that on the site. And you and I did a show on the first four or five rounds last week. If people are interested in how those drafts are starting and where you and I like to attack early on. But Ben, I also wanted to mention that something new came out today that I was very excited about. We've been teasing, stealing signals and the off-season content that you would have. And you mentioned that there was going to be a targets per route run article coming out it did come out today uh for those obviously listening when the show actually comes out it did come out yesterday make sure you subscribed to ceiling signals ben has some early values for you when you're out there attacking those best ball drafts 
he's got some guys that you really want to pick. We're not going to give spoilers for that today, but very excited to have some new Stealing Signals content out. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was, uh, uh, I put that one out free as well. So anybody who wants to just check it out, maybe hasn't read me in a while, uh, feel free to, to go to bengratshotsubsack.com. I think it tries to make you put in your email right away. You can just click underneath there. It's like, check it out for free. And it should be the top post there. And uh should be able to read the whole thing. Uh, I did not finish it. it. It's look, we're in the, we're in off season mode. So I, <laughs> I wrote a pretty long in, intro describing the process, describing the value of targets per out run. I think that stuff's actually really interesting. And then I did 10 teams and I said, you know, my kids are home from school. I'm going to do the other 22 teams in a post, you know, later this week or, or maybe next Which week. Which is exactly how it should be. Yeah. So we got a third of the league. There's good, 10, 10 teams, some really good, in, uh, some stuff in there. I found some stuff that I, you know, I mean, obviously writing stealing signals all year. There's a lot of, a lot of things that I was aware of, but there's a few in there that I was like, you know what? I think I'm, uh, I'm interested in this player for early drafts. I was looking at ADP as well. So definitely some stuff to check out. I appreciate you mentioning that. But Sean, let's talk some dynasty leagues. You put together kind of some thoughts. I mean, I think the first thing that you noted here and is the most important thing is sort of how are you going to structure the startup, the draft, the league? Um, you mentioned some, some, you know, there's the, we all sort of know the traditional fantasy league structures, but you mentioned some other things that are in dynasty leagues. I've played fewer of these things than you. I've never played in, in one of uh, Ryan McDowell's more intense leagues, probably just a little bit afraid of that, but uh, I've done an auction dynasty startup. I thought that was an incredible experience. It's definitely uh, a lengthy experience, but man, so fun. You mentioned this bidding for slot element, you know, using some type of bidding money to, uh, or buying money for for people that want to go that route to to determine where they're going to start their draft, the the concept of third round reversal you have thrown down here, which is I think sort of a no brainer in any fantasy league personally, um, and then you have this multi conference thing as well, which I, I have played years ago in in leagues that had multiple conferences, uh, but talk through a couple of those things. Yeah, well, you mentioned the auction right off the bat, and I think that if you have the time and you have the people in your league interested, then, I mean, you have to go that route, right? Doing these with Ryan. And then we had a really fun one that our buddy Mike Leone uh, set up a couple years ago that you and I both participate in. When you have the slow auction to start, and I think that the slow auction is a lot of fun because it drags the process out. I mean, drags doesn't necessarily have the most positive connotation, but you know, you're starting up your league, right? And, and the drafts can take a while too, but this element where you're bidding, you have a 24-hour clock or, you know, it probably works a little bit better to do a 16-hour clock so it doesn't take quite that long for players to go through and come back off of the board there. But there is a, a tactical element to that slow bidding. But one of the things that I like about the auction, in addition to just the additional strategy, really, of having to bid on everyone or having to choose obviously to not bid on certain players, but that you can get the players that you want if you're simply willing to pay enough, right? You can't ever make the excuse, oh, I just, I didn't have the draft slot that would have allowed me to pick a Christian McCaffrey or a Josh Allen or a Jamar Chase. I mean, you, you've got a shot at him. And if you want him enough, you just bid high enough, right? And so I like that, that anybody can get any player and then you have to build your team around 
whatever decisions you've made early. And if you do get one of those stars, then you have to have some contingencies built in to, to build a good team around them. Yeah, you talked a little bit about the the sweat of that. The biggest thing I remember from that auction we did, um, and it was what two years ago now. It was right after COVID hit. It was we called it the quarantine auction. Um, I, I the big sweat for me, it being my first auction, was when I placed a bid and then regretted it over the next couple of hours. And then you had like twenty four hours to sit there and be like, somebody outbid this. Come on, please. And the one that I know I was I was sweating the most was uh, I remember Joe Mixon. I think I went up over thirty bucks. It's probably a two hundred dollar budget, somewhere around thirty bucks on Mixon, and and feeling like I didn't want to be that high on him. It was too much of my budget on a running back. Period. I'm not that high on Mixon, and it went down into like the final hour because no one's bidding on the people that are still have eighteen hours left. It's you know everyone's kind of checking in on who's about to expire every now and then. But it went down to sort of the final hour, and then someone outbid me, and then that went for 24 hours. But it it did go off as that was the the bid that won Mixon. I just remember I was so I, was, I wound up grateful that I that I lost that bid. It is funny you mentioned that, and that will happen every once in a while. And even you'll see some trades kind of in the middle to late section where a bid looks like it's going to go through and keep you from being able to fill out the rest of your plan. And if people are thinking, well, you know, how is that possible? You bid you obviously want this person the dollar figures and the money that gets released when certain players go or you bid over someone else can completely change these dynamics late in the event which is a lot of fun but you will some, see some trades from time to time especially for people who maybe are doing an auction as you know doing their first auction where there will be a trade that's actually contingent upon someone bidding over you and you don't see that too often where you're like please someone take this person off of my current bid here. I cannot afford to have them on my roster. I was doing some price enforcement perhaps and got caught. That's always the worst feeling when you feel like it's not the bid that it should be. And yet it's a player that you don't want. And so you've either got to let your opponent have this great value you know, or you've got to take someone like Joe Mixon, which right. fortunately in this case, Ben did not get it. Exactly what I was doing because that bid – uh, you'll recall you you sat back and saved your money longer than anyone, but the, a lot of the early the early action was was fast and loose, and a lot of money was getting spent. And you know, you being like me, I'm sure you had you know your values set up, and I'm looking at it going, all these guys are going ten dollars over the values that I've set up. Do I have something wrong? And at a certain point, you know, you're you're questioning your own like process, especially with it being my first auction. It turned out that there were just some tremendous values late. You ended up really scooping up a lot of that value. I held off pretty long, but then I, I made the grave mistake. And don't do this if you're ever in a startup fantasy where you've positioned yourself well and you've held off when other people are overbidding. That once the value started coming back down to basically market value, that that's I was like, okay, well, now I'm getting this guy. I, I want to get some guys on my team. I started buying some guys right around where I had them valued. You have to adjust to the fact that there's been overbids and you're going to get underbids later. You don't want now market value. Everyone needs to come down and that's left. And so Mixon was one where it was right at that point where our draft was turning and people stopped over overbidding. And there's always a turn, right? When that, when that happens in an auction where I was like, this is the first one that's close to my value. You know, I can't let him, I can't let him go for this price. I want to keep getting everyone overbidding here. And placed that bid and nearly got it, but you know I did did get overbid. But I think that was one of the last big ticket 
buys in in the whole auction for for that uh that startup because things flipped quick in that one. Those are some good points. And for anybody who has played a live auction and knows that you know you do need to be aggressive early. Don't let those early values get by you. And a slow auction is a little bit different because people do have the full sixteen hours to sit there and and kind of look at their numbers and they know. That based on some live auctions that they have done, they don't want to let the early values get through. And so sometimes you'll actually have uh, some pretty serious overbids early, which is something where you have to be ready to make those adjustments. And I like that contrast between things that will happen in a live auction and things will happen in a slow auction. Obviously, either one is fantastic for building your dynasty league and letting people have that shot at all the players. Ben, what are some things that we can do here if your league isn't committed to the auction format? I think we're going to probably start a new Rotoviz Dynasty League for writers soon. And we'll probably do it based on a draft because that's what most people are doing. And so that's what makes the most sense for us from a content perspective. But if you are going to do a draft, there are still some things you can do to make the first round more fair. And this we're kind of going to look at a little bit under the lineup and sort of roster structure elements as well. But one of the things is you can just have super flex that deepens that first round by quite a bit and makes it a situation where there's not such a, a large gap between pick one and pick 12. But we can also do some other things like third round reversal and having people use some of their free agent bidding money to bid for a place in line to select where they want to be in the draft. Yeah, that sounds intriguing. I have not done that before. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on that. In, in terms of the, the super flex, Titan Premium is the other one, obviously, that goes along with that. I would say that I would not join a Dynasty League that doesn't have both of those elements uh, in 2022, personally. I mean, I, there may be future scoring elements that are better. In I'm looking back at it now. I think it was in 2017 was our first year. I started a, a six-month Dynasty League, it's called. We do all the transactions and everything in a six-month window in the offseason, and then Rosters are locked for six months during the season. It's a best ball league. Uh, it's mostly writers and, and people around the industry. Sean, you're in this one. And uh, it's, you know, we're all pretty busy during the season. So it's kind of fun to do the the best ball version as well and just do all the, the transactions and the team building in the offseason. I, I, I enjoy that format. It's another thing we could probably discuss. But we did not do Superflex or tight end premium. And the one thing I would say about this is, uh, I regret it, certainly. I mean, we started this in 2017. You get multiple years in the future. We're five years on now. Still a fun league and a great league, but there's less movement in this league. Fewer trades, fewer, you know, less action overall over time because you don't have the same value. I mean, I, this is sort of the, the reason that I've attributed to it is you don't have the same value in, at quarterback or tight end. You can win this league a best ball without tight end premium you can win it without really any strong tight ends because you know it is a fairly deep starting lineup um you don't necessarily have to have the tight end points and so there are people that are just sort of punting that over multiple years quarterbacks when you're playing in a one quarterback league especially i mean in in best ball you probably want multiple but you, you certainly don't need to be targeting quarterbacks, especially when you have a couple people that are sort of tanking again in dynasty leagues, a couple people that maybe don't have the quarterback talent. And so it's kind of concentrated on maybe eight teams. There's enough quarterbacks to go around in one quarterback league. So you want to create some of that scarcity. You want to create the extra value at tight end in part, just because it makes those positions help determine the winners over multiple years. 
And in the way that your dynasty league is going to play out over multiple years, it, it keeps the, the trade market more liquid. It keeps things more fluid. But you talked about in the startup, it is, it's more fun too, because you're going to have tight ends going in the first round. You're going to have a lot of quarterbacks going in the first round in super flex. And that pushes down the running backs and receivers and allows you to build any way you want to build. And so, yeah, I mean, I personally, I, I wouldn't go go into a new dynasty league without those elements because I think it's so important in terms of the flexibility it gives you from the start to four or five years down the road as well. It really does. And especially with the quarterbacks being so important and then also having longevity in many cases, you introduce them as very viable. And in some cases, in many cases, the sort of key first round picks, which does balance out that stanza. It also still creates a situation where a third round reversal, I think, is interesting because if you're looking at the value that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, those types of players have, there's going to be an advantage to getting in that group to where you don't necessarily then want those same drafters to get the first picks in round three, right? We see that in regular redraft formats a lot where those participants will have a big aid. One of the things I really liked about early in 2022 is I don't feel that it is the same edge that we thought it was going to be and that it really should have been last season. Obviously, the Christian McCaffrey injury and the Jonathan Taylor emergence really kind of balanced that out for people inadvertently there. But the third round reversal helps. But one of the things that has been a lot of fun about this Rotoviz Triflex League that we're doing, one of the things that I wanted to say is that this has been a great format and Curtis Patrick had a lot of influence on how that was kind of built. He asked a number of us there with Rotoviz how we would want to do it, what we like the best. And then FFPC obviously have some of the things that they really want, which is to make sure that you have enough roster turnover so that if you have to have you know orphans and that kind of thing, that people can be very invested and excited right away. I kind of like that element of it. And one of the things that I like is that you have to manage your roster spots as well as making the good decisions on players. And it does keep you thinking a little bit more in the present tense than what happens in some dynasty leagues where you can keep so many players that you're rostering a lot for the future. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that, one of the reasons that I bring it up is that that, I think, makes it more interesting if you're bidding for a slot. If the free agent dollars are actually important, then it introduces more interest, I think, with this bidding element. Because if you're going to come in and you're bidding for the number one pick and everyone bids a 1,000 because so many players are rostered that there aren't really any free agent moves during the season that matter, well, you know that's not going to work. But if those dollars are going to be important later, and especially in Superflex with how many quarterback injuries there are, I mean, there's a lot of movement that you have. And you even think of the league that you performed extraordinarily well in, the Scott Fishbowl, and how deep that is, but yet how many important roster moves there were in that. So if you're going to have this tension between saving to bid in free agency and getting the slot that you want in the original draft, I think that element of it is fun, but those bidding dollars have to mean something. 
Hello there, Colm Kelly here, co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just want to take a moment to let you know as a loyal Rotoviz Podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass. All you have to do is head on over to rotoviz.com, add the subscription to your basket, and add the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off, it'll get you access to all of our content and tools, and of course set you up for success in all your 2022 fantasy football rosters. That code is RVRADIO2022. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sean, I'm looking ahead at your notes already, and... I'm going to get way, way ahead of us, but you have contraction listed in the notes. I've never even heard of a dynasty league with contraction. Can you explain to me how that works? Well, so, so I was experimenting with a lot of ideas earlier today and it, it is a jump forward, but you know, th- this is a free flowing conversation. We're not uh, limited by the template here in any way, shape or form. One of the things that, that I don't care for, or that I think that at least in some leagues you want to take pains to address is this idea of tanking. And then this is very much in the reality news as well, where one of the things that has come up with the sort of Brian Flores discussions is this idea that the reality teams are trying to tank. And I think a lot of us look at that and think, well, that's, I mean, that's not really news, right? I mean, we know that Hugh Jackson probably isn't the NFL's greatest coach, but they didn't lose all of those games because the Browns were actually trying to win the games. You know, there's this huge incentive to, if you're not going to be a playoff team, to lose. And, you know, that's that's not really the way the league should be shaped. And one of the things that I would really like is if it were feasible and simple enough to do some type of bidding element um, where the NFL draft had more of an element where you had to decide how to deploy the picks that you had in a different way than just this straight draft. 
But one of the things that we do know, and it's a, an issue where Major League Baseball, one of the talking points in their negotiations right now is should they institute a lottery? Obviously, the NBA has had historically so many problems with tanking that they have a lottery element to what they do. When the top picks are worth so much, and certainly in reality football, if you can get one of those star QBs, that can completely change your whole franchise. Now, we know that the, the top guys don't always come with the number one pick. I mean, you have someone like a Patrick Mahomes, plenty of other examples, Josh Allen. Those guys don't go absolutely at number one, but you have a better chance the earlier that you pick, right? And so all these teams are trying to move up for those picks one of the things that you mentioned on the show recently is that if you're not winning your dynasty league, then there's a huge incentive to finishing last, essentially. That really causes competitive problems. You don't want leagues to be decided, number one, by only four or five people actually trying. And then number two, you know, when you're trying to get into the playoffs down the stretch, if your opponents are not making an effort, that doesn't really work. And so we want to address that in a variety of ways. So one of the things, again, right off the bat, it's kind of cool and that you and I were trying to figure out how we wanted to play it in ours. We ended up making the playoffs, so this didn't come into play. But FFPC actually has a tournament to get the top pick in that, which, again, I think is smart because you just don't want to have a bunch of teams tanking. But, Ben, I was kind of thinking through this idea that you could do basically dynasty in an eliminator format where you have to perform – to a certain level in order to not get contracted. And I was also thinking of this within the context of this multi-conference setup. So one of the things with this, and you can do this in a variety of different ways, but I know that there, one of the things that's kind of fun about Kitchen Cinco, for example, one of the leagues I'm in with Ryan, is that there are four conferences and the four individual league winners then meet sort of in this super, super bowl. But you could also play it where every participant is in both conferences. And so basically what you do is you have two shots at it, right? As opposed to only one and you can have, and that way you can also balance this element of, okay, well, where are the picks? And so if you don't have the number one pick or the number two pick in one conference, then you can put in different elements within the rules so that you have a better pick or worse pick in the other one, balance that out. And you get a little bit more of a true sense. And not that you don't get a true sense, but you have these two leagues and you've got to manage both of them and the overall winner is the person who comes out and wins the super bowl but you're competing in both leagues simultaneously as opposed to only having one well if you can get contracted in one of the leagues and go down to where you only have a team in one of the two leagues left i think that would be kind of an interesting idea but what i ended up thinking is that you're going to end up with something that's not really dynasty at that point it's, it's more just eliminator and Really what you want to have is more sort of a soft relegation where teams that get the number one pick, potentially the number two pick, however you want to set it up. That's the great part about it. You start up your new league and you're the commissioner and you can do it how you want, but you designate a certain number of teams that once they get into that position where they have the top rookie picks because of either tanking or incompetence, either way, the same basic issue, they are not eligible for the playoffs either for one year or two years or however you want to do it, right? You then have to wait because you let yourself get to the point where your team was so uncompetitive that you got the number one or number two pick. Interesting. And so then sort of the, you know, the immediate thought I have is like, well, is that worth it to get a really great player? It might be, but you sort of have a, a purgatory year 
where you're going to have to not finish because you can't get the number one pick in multiple years to try to stack your roster because that's still not going to you know be able to ever allow you into the playoffs when you're good enough. You're going to have to have a year at some point where you're competitive, and then the year following you'll be able to to be you know potentially compete for the playoffs. That's that's a pretty interesting element, and it would it would reward the teams that are sort of in the middle that. You know, if one of the 101 teams the next year has a great season, they're not eligible for the playoffs. And so now the seven seed or whatever gets a gets a shot in, in the playoffs and maybe they get lucky in the, the final few weeks. Like, yeah, I think that's a an interesting way to sort of balance out that first or last element that is always present in dynasty leagues. And I think the main thing, again, is just you want to incentivize everyone to compete every year. Now that doesn't mean that everyone is going to take the same path. There are still going to be teams that approach it with very much a win now mindset. There are going to be teams that approach it from this sort of broader view of, okay, my actual championship window is going to be two or three years down the road. And it's going to be very, very wide. There are going to be teams that approach it from the perspective that you and I talk about on the show a lot with this idea of perpetual reloading. But even within that, you have to be competitive and you have to have a good team. And if you let your team get too bad, then this process of getting it better is going to be onerous, right? It's not going to be something where, oh, you did a horrible job. So now we're going to give you the best players for a while. That's that's not how a competitive endeavor should be. There shouldn't be these incentives to be bad. And so I think the other thing you can do, you don't necessarily have to do a soft relegation. You can just simply do a situation where you actually just have two tournaments at the end of the year. The first tournament is the top six and they get to play for the money in the championship. And then the bottom six play for the picks, right? So again, you're never incentivized to actually be awful. You want to do as well as you can, because if you do really well, you compete for the title. If you don't do quite as well, you're at least competing for the number one picks. And so the picks then would actually go not necessarily to the weakest team, but maybe six, five, four, three, two, one, and that, or again, you're going to have a tournament, which again, makes it fun. You have this idea of, you know, when you're in weeks 15, 16, 17, fantasy football should be fun, right? You shouldn't be in this deal where, okay, now those weeks don't matter. It's like I tanked the whole season and weeks 15, 16, 17, you know, you get rid of all that. You make the whole thing competitive. I love that because if you miss the playoffs by a game or whatever, that's the worst in, in a typical dynasty league because you're like, I don't, I don't even have a top pick. I, this this season sucked. Now I have a, the sixth overall pick. You know, I missed. I got the seventh seed, or I was seventh overall. I missed the playoffs by by one spot. In that format, it means you do get a buy as well in the you know the consolation bracket. The seven and eight teams get get a buy, right? And so now you know it's even more incentive when a team's in tenth late in the year. They want to try to get up to that eighth spot so that they can potentially get that buy. And, and improve their draft position for the following year. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it feels a lot better to finish seventh or eighth than it does to finish ninth through 12th for that reason. You're, you're a step closer to potentially getting the 101 the following year. And so, like you said, no one's ever trying to finish last or be that bad. There's really nothing good that comes out of it. So I, I love that. I mean, I think that's something that should probably be in most leagues as well. What do you think about best ball? What do you think about best ball and dynasty? I, I've come to really enjoy that because I play in so many seasonal leagues. Dynasty to me is sort of an off-season thing. You're building your roster, this, that, and the other thing. And then I like the idea of having 
it there during the season, obviously, but um, not necessarily having to manage it. There's that, that quarantine option that you mentioned that Mike Leone did. He has a, a, an awesome element to it where there's like a one-week trade window in season, which has created a ton of action, like more in-season trades in that league that only has one week of trading than in a lot of other leagues I'm in that you could trade throughout the year. And it's just because that window is available, everyone is looking at the trades at that same time. And so it creates a lot of deals in the two years so far that we've had it. But I like the idea of, of rosters being somewhat locked and not being a huge, uh, I mean, obviously you can do it the traditional way and set your lineups, but not being a huge burden if you want to play redraft as more of a focus in season, especially if you're getting new into dynasty. I've found that best ball leagues are, are pretty fun. They are. And I think the FFPC does have that with the Rotoviz format as well. So that's pretty cool. I think that a balance makes sense. I would be in some ways disappointed if the league that you and I were in together, for example, didn't have that weekly element of us trying to figure out who we wanted to start. And knowing that we have to manage our roster spots and the pickups that we make with the idea of being able to start a lineup. Because in a Superflex League, for example, there's going to be a big difference between having the two guys and being able to fill that. And then you've got to get through the buys with some non-QBs, but you could do it with two. In best ball, you're going to need three, and you're going to need to roster and, and play in your team with that element in mind now it changes the strategy which doesn't mean that it, it makes it worse you would just plan for that right from the get-go but there are some big differences and so i kind of like doing both i'm glad that i have some best ball because you know we're already in the situation often where we're managing you know 30 40 teams that gets to be too much of a headache if you're gonna every year add another 10 to 15 good leagues you know you, you quickly end up with just an amount that you can't manage when really exactly for the reasons that you talked about you would love to add those leagues during the offseason when you have the time to add them and so i think that element of it makes it really cool how do you like the best ball to work one of the things that i was kind of toying with too you mentioned that trade window would you like to see a couple of weeks of free agent pickups with a best ball league say you could bid after week four bid after week eight but don't have to do it all the time because just like starting a lineup maybe even more than starting a lineup it's pretty wearing to have to do all of those pickups but if you don't do pickups then again you just you get further away from being actually engaged in the league i love what you just said i mean i i mean that would be a redraft format that i would play where you you had to set lineups but you didn't have to do waivers every week you only had waivers every second or third or fourth week it's something i've, I've joked about with some other people but I, I i yeah i mean i think that's great for dynasty the, the tough thing you mentioned about sort of grinding waivers every week tough thing with dynasty is like you're gonna have deeper rosters as part of it uh for people who are new and we are kind of doing this as an explainer for people who maybe are trying to start their first league I mean, I prefer like a 30-man roster league where you you have deep rookie drafts and you actually have a reason to go out and draft fifth and sixth round rookie picks in in your rookie draft that are, you know, these guys that Sean Siegel's writing about, <laughs> you know, like the Jacob Harris last year or whatever. You're grabbing him as a tight end in your fifth round of your rookie draft. That to me, I mean, it's fun to just kind of have that guy and see if he develops. And when they do develop, it, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. He's been, you know, your 30th man on your roster. I like having the really deep lineups. Or, or rosters, which also means that I like having deep lineups. You had on here the additional flexes, something else that's in the road of his tri-flex leagues over at FFPC that I love. You can play up to five receivers because you have all these flex spots. 
But what happens with the really deep rosters is that you kind of get caught in the middle where like you don't have to necessarily worry about waivers because the players that are available aren't that great. At the same time, there typically are players that come available in NFL seasons that even in a 30-man roster are worth having. And if you were really trying to maximize your edge in a dynasty league, you'd be churning rosters every week. And the players that I play against that are very good, I mean, I have Curtis Patrick in some of my leagues. He's very good at this. He, he's picking up guys throughout the season. I don't do a very good job of it during the season. And so it's a little bit of a task, right, to have to do the waivers every week and try to figure out how the value has changed for the you know 250th player, you know, even more than that. I don't know. I'm not going to do the math right now. 360th player in the league, right? 30, 30 man rosters, 12 teams. All right, 360th player. And the 30th player on your roster, do you still want to hold that, you know, fifth round rookie pick? into the season he's not really getting on the field in the first few weeks i mean just having to make those decisions every single week and recalibrate every week does get a little bit tiresome for me sometimes personally as someone who's a little bit more of a casual dynasty player so this idea that you could just make those decisions in bulk every fourth week and kind of reassess the bet you've made on the fifth round rookie are you ready to cut him and then also there will be a bigger pool of available guys every fourth week where you're like okay there's clearly a handful of guys here that are worth picking up um, or more that everybody's going to be bidding on. What are the bids going to be? And you have to think through that part of it. That to me, it would be an absolute blast because the element of doing it every single week for, for me is a little bit much in the, in the really deep leagues. You know, I, I, I know that I should be grinding waivers for that 30th roster spot, just like I grind waivers for my, my redraft leagues, but it's so much we're talking about really, really marginal percent chances of hitting when you're back the 30th man on a roster in a dynasty league. And so it, it feels like so much less, it feels like a more of a work to potential, you know, payoff equation. And then I, I just don't do it. I just do my right redraft leagues. You know? Yeah. One of the things that does make it nice. I, th- I go back and forth on this because I think you do need to have a sort of a first come first serve on Sunday right before the games so the people who have been wiped out it, it, hopefully it won't be as big of an issue hopefully we're into the pandemic phase that is not really going to affect sports in the future but people who get wiped out on various injuries and and whatnot have a bunch of players who are late and active so you actually want them to start a full lineup you don't want them to be locked out of waivers to where they can't you know pick up someone who maybe they're only going to score three or four points but both for just competitive purposes and because it could still obviously swing a game. You want them to have a full lineup there. But for most of the week, I like the waivers to be locked and to have times when they execute. Because again, if you're in 30 leagues and Adrian Peterson suddenly becomes available, then number one, don't add him anyway. But number two, when you have 30 leagues, it's hard to add him in all 30. (laughs) So that, uh, it can be nice to not have to worry about it 24 hours a day when you're playing those leagues. Then one of the things that people are looking at for both redraft and dynasty, but definitely when you're building your dynasty leagues is something that commissioners want to think about is how do we determine the winners, right? On a week to week basis, are we looking at head to head? Are we looking at total points? Are we looking at some combination? How do you like your leagues to play when we're trying to decide who deserves to make the playoffs. I tend to prefer total points, but I get why people like head to head. And so 
I like a combination because I think it's, you know, somebody who, as somebody who has been in the commissioner seat in a lot of leagues, you want a balance that people are going to be somewhat content with. And so like for the six month league, we do, there's only four playoff spots because it is best ball. So we want to make the regular season a little bit more important. We do the top three are head to head. And then the fourth one is the total points of the remaining teams gets in. So you do, typically have the top scoring teams are going to be up there in head in head to head. But um, sometimes you, you sneak someone in with one of the top three win losses. Certainly somebody who has a ton of points, but got bad win loss luck all year can still get in presuming that they were, you know, the, the remaining top scoring team after the top three were in. I always like reserving that last spot for the remaining total points um, in any format in, in redraft, whatever my longest running redraft league, the sixth spot is reserved for the best remaining team. Um, that's an, an all play element on that one, but still it's the, the best remaining team, regardless of the, the win loss of just the head to head schedule. Um, so yeah, I like a mix. I mean, some of the high stakes stuff that we do, uh, a lot of those sites will do alternating head to head. Then the next the next team in is the of the remaining teams, the best points. Then the next team in is of the remaining teams, the best head to head. The next team in is of the remaining teams, the best points. I've always liked that. So yeah, so, some kind of combination typically for me. Yeah. In the best ball, I think my preference is for pure points. I think that best ball always kind of gives you that feeling where it's a total points race. It, it feels like a tournament and every week it's like, how many points can you score? How many points can you pull back on the people who are in front of you? I really like that element of it. There's definitely a strong argument for that in managed as well, but I think that the head to head element and rooting against certain players while you're rooting for your own team, having those Monday night situations where you know how many points you need, you know how many points your opponent needs and how that dynamic is going to play out is really fun. Now, you may not be paying attention to all of those until you get a little bit deeper into the season and you have certain teams that have become very important to you. But as a commissioner, and you're trying to build this league that is the most important to everybody in the league that kind of emerges as their favorite league, I think you have to have that Monday night element. And so I like the thing where you have a head-to-head -head and victory points Again, FFPC did a great job with that. That's what you and I are dealing with in those leagues. I kind of like the double head-to-head -head that Ryan has in the kitchen sink leagues. I like to have two matchups every week and then the victory points. And so you get two points for a victory, zero for a loss. So there are four points kind of at stake based on who you're playing head-to-head. -head. And then the top four scoring teams in your league get two the middle four scoring get one, the bottom four scoring get zero. So every week, six points are up for grabs. You need to score. You can't just get up there through luck because you won't get the coveted buys of being the number one or the number two seed. But every week you're kind of following your progress. You need to win your head-to-heads and the people you're battling with those, battling with for those number one seeds, you're also rooting for them to lose, which is, again, part of the, the fun, I think, of fantasy. That's kind of the way that I like to play it. One that maybe isn't my favorite at this point, but definitely something I would encourage people to think about and try. We have all play in Mike Clay's going deep league. That's a redraft league, but in terms of uh, kind of a cool format there where it's not just total points because, you know, you have this week where you score 250. That's not going to fix a bunch of weeks in a row where you didn't really do that well. It only counts for one week. You only go 11 and 0 against your 11 competitors. 
you don't get the extra, but it's it's kind of cool then because you're actually playing everybody every week. And so it's the full record that you have against the whole league that determines the playoff spots. That one doesn't give you the quite the same Monday night dynamic where you've got specific players you need to win and specific players you need to lose, but it does, I think, give a pretty true feel for where you're at. Now, of course, anytime that you actually end up with a worse all-play record than your total points, you're thinking, ah, this still doesn't work quite right. So, you know, that, that does pop up as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Sean, we're coming kind of towards the end. Anyone who has listened to us talk about Dynasty formats and, and ways to play for this long is either just uh, a, a masochist or <laughs> really enjoys hearing our voice or is considering starting their own dynasty league. I want to ask you if you were starting a league, what like let's give people who are thinking about starting a league in a week or in two weeks or whatever, the specific set of instructions, what would be your preference? How many roster spots? I'm assuming super flex. I'm assuming tight end premium. I'm assuming additional flexes, right? Just like the road of his triflex league, they're great options. Uh, but I'm uh, we're going to do this exercise for someone who's starting a league, maybe with their friends somewhere else, wherever. What what would be all the, the elements that you would put into it? Yeah, so let's start with the kind of roster and the starting lineup there, right? I think that you want to do 22 roster spots and four taxi spots. That gets you in a situation where you don't have this ultra deep league to where people are actually drafting the, the last 10 picks kind of being like you know who's there now those of us who write about these guys all year i mean we're gonna have players we like in that range but even then you know if you offer someone the 25th round pick for some you know pick in the future they're gonna look at you like i, I don't want your 25th round pick which anytime people have no interest in a round that you're drafting and that's some signal that maybe you shouldn't have that round as part of it but I think we also want to have that element that you talked about where you're going to have those deep rookie guys that you hold on to. So we do 22 rounds or we do 26 rounds before those guys have to be people that you're going to keep on the taxi. Anytime you promote them, you lose them and you lose basically the spot because you can't just fill it in with some of the rookie. You're, you're set with those four guys. You can promote them or not as you go along. You add some IR spots because as we go through the season, you do want that free agent element to come into play. You're not stuck with guys and have your roster clogged up. So I do like having the IR, but I think we want to start with something that has depth and, but not so much depth that you don't have to number one, consider those roster spots. And number two, you can't have that element of being able to have a dynamic in season portion to it. But then with the starting lineup, I think exactly like you said, you want to have the super flex. One of the things that I think if you love zero RB and you want to show people, okay, you don't need running backs. They don't actually score that many points. You can say it can be all flexes. You don't have to start any running backs. Maybe you only start one running back, but I like to put the pressure back on zero RB drafters and say, if you believe that show, you can win with it when running backs still do matter. So I like having the two roster spots or the two starting line of spots that do have to be running backs, right? Because when I tell people you don't need to draft them, I think the pressure should still be on me to score some points there or take not scoring points and be able to overcome that, not just punt it completely. So I say two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, and then let's go three flexes. 
I love it. And then for the startup, would you do an auction? Would you do a draft with third round reversal? How would you, would you bid for the draft slot? Like you said, how would you do it? Yeah, I'm going to say let's split it half and half with auction. I think if you can get people to do auction, you want to, if you can't, let's do third round reversal. Let's bid for the spots. And then, you know, maybe you can't get people who actually want to spend that much time with it, but I want to do the two drafts simultaneously where you're going to have two conferences. You're going to have two teams in this league, both of which you have to manage. Those two drafts go on at the same time. So when you miss your guy in one side of it, you can take him on the other. You know, you know you're know, you just not locked out completely. One's a snake and one's an auction, right? So if you miss him in the snake, you can buy him in the auction. There you go. That's a way to do it. Perfect. And then, and then the playoff structure, we talked about this, but to reiterate the – consolation bracket for the 101 is fantastic i mean i think we kind of decided earlier that's got to be the way to do it because you never want people just full-on tanking making their roster as bad as possible to get the 101 it just over the long haul it makes leagues top heavy i'm in multiple leagues where you have a handful of competitive teams maybe two or three that are really the clear contenders and it's been that way maybe for a couple of seasons and then you have and part of that is because you have teams at the bottom that are trying to rebuild, maybe don't necessarily know how to do it. And so they've just been finishing the bottom three for three, four years in a row. And, you know, it's like they probably are just staying in the league for the relationships at that point. Like they don't, they don't really like their team anymore and it, it's, it's trouble, but they think that they need to keep stockpiling first overall picks and whatnot, make it so that those teams should be trying to get to the seven and eight spots every single year so they can get a buy and then get a better chance to get the one-on-one always be, you know, pushing people to, to be better every single week, which is, I think what that accomplishes when you have the consolation bracket. I agree. And I also, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with playing these leagues purely for fun. I and mean, we know that we're all in some leagues that are like that. And that maybe the bragging rights is far and away, you know, the most, important element of it but if you're going to play for money and if that does you know inject a little bit more to it for everyone then i really want to see people if it's a dynasty league and you're playing this for multiple seasons you know don't make the buy-in so much that people are feeling actual monetary pressure from it but then have it be something where everybody buys in for at least three years and ideally for five years because whatever strategy you take you should have to own it right and not leave the league and if that means you're going to go for it in year one and your old players crash and burn and then you're bad you know you can't get out of that if you decide to you know do a sort of tank ish element and go with very young players it doesn't have to be a tankish element but if you try and go with young players and it doesn't work you can't get back out of it right and you're committed to this league for at least the portion that everyone kind of agrees that the, the league is going to go for. And then hopefully it will continue, you know, five, 10, 15 years out in the future. But I want the group, the 12 people to start to really be all in on this as being a dynasty league, not something where you kind of take a shot. And if your approach doesn't work, then you just find a different league for yourself. The other thing here, Ben, with the playoffs that you mentioned, I really don't want to have matchups. We talked about kind of that Monday night, you know what you want to have, but that actually works well too with multiple teams in the playoffs. I would like to see all play for the quarters, all play for the semis. So you have, you know, three, four, five, six seeds in the quarters, the top two scorers advance. Then you have the final four in the semis, top two scorers advance. And then depending on how you put it together, a multi-week final, again, 
really rewarding the best team, or then if you have multiple conferences, a Super Bowl in that final week. But try and create the playoffs in a way where the top two seeds don't have some overwhelming advantage that you really can't overcome because especially if they just barely squeaked out those one and two seeds they should then be in a playoffs where they can't lose but you do want the best team to come to the surface and win in the end that's that's what you're trying to build for you're trying to build this dynasty man this conversation has me looking at my dynasty rosters it has me excited to do you know to to talk I don't know if I'm ready to do another dynasty startup, but it has me excited to to think about it at least. I'm certainly reminiscing on some of the past ones. That that auction that we were talking about a little bit earlier on the show was one of my favorite experiences all time in fantasy football. It was such a blast, a great group of guys, and we, <laughs> we were all going a little bit crazy for a couple of weeks, you know, following this thing every day and checking in on who's about to you know, expire and all of that in terms of their, their 24 hour clock and, and bend people up and, and all that. And you come out of it, you have your roster, you build your team, you know, it's going to change every year. It's going to evolve. And certainly all the strategy elements are things that we've talked about as well. But in terms of how to build a good, healthy league over multiple years, I think we've hit on a lot of things that will be good. Some of them you might get pushback on early on. I'm kind of a pretty big advocate of, of, going the extra mile when you're starting. I mean, I know it can sometimes be tough to get people to buy in, but trying to go the extra mile to convince people that you know, some of these things are what's going to be best for the league long-term. They're going to, they're going to like it. I mean, I remember all the way back in the day when I first had to convince my, my old home league to use PPR. And, and there were so many people that just hated that idea. Why are we giving a point just for a reception? It's like, it's more than that. It's about the way that, you know, all the positions are valued and, and, believe me, you're going to like this. It's going to make things a lot better in terms of the way that we're all drafting and it's going to free things up. And, you know, everyone buys in with these types of changes. It's why they, they get bought into across the fantasy industry, but stuff like Superflex, maybe you've never played it before. Maybe it feels uncomfortable. It, it feels like a barrier more than it actually is when you get into a draft and you draft Superflex. You feel like you're going to get boxed out of quarterbacks. You probably not. There's usually about 50 quarterbacks that start a game at any NFL season. You can always find, I mean, it feels like you can't, but you can find random guys to start in season. A lot of them aren't necessarily going to be good, but you can't, I mean, like there are paths to, to finding quarterbacks. At the same time, you can also just target the top ones. You mentioned this, Sean, the, the, the first couple rounds of a, of a super flex startup are going to revolve around quarterback. So anybody who's concerned about that, go out and take Kyler Murray. Go out and take, you know, Josh Allen. Go out and take Joe Burrow or whoever. Get yourself situated at that position and then and then attack the other positions. There's multiple ways to play that, obviously. But don't let the uh, sort of fear of the unknown not allow you to try something that – you talk about Ryan's leagues. I haven't tried them yet, but you love them, right? I mean, it, and it's not just because, Sean, you and I are sickos. I mean, it, th these things do add – a positive element to the game of fantasy football. Uh, and so certainly try to get all of those things into your league as much as possible. Some of it can be difficult to set up. It's worth it in the beginning because if you're going to be planning on starting this dynasty league, you're going to be planning on playing it for four, five, six, eight, ten years. Who knows? And so you want those strategy, or excuse me, those uh, settings to be correct in a way that will keep the league healthy for that amount of time because it's tough to make those types of changes on the fly it's always tough to kind of try to change to super flex or try to change you know an existing league it's that's a that's a much bigger challenge down the road so 
try to get that stuff situated. If you're uncomfortable with some of it, trust us, I guess is the, the way that I would put it. it it's uh, it's a lot of fun to, to get the dynasty league settings right in a way that keeps people engaged, gets the trades flowing and keeps, you know, the health of the league strong. That's a, a really positive element to having a good dynasty league for a lot of years. It is. And as you mentioned, making those correct decisions at the beginning, that's what's going to give you the engagement. That's why you're doing it in the first place. So we uh, encourage you to do all that and to just do whatever league is best for you, whatever the settings that are going to be the most comfortable and the most fun for your group of 12 people, make sure you do that. It's obviously your league and you should have it the way that you want. Then we're going to have a lot more dynasty content coming over the next several months. We'll have rookie content. We'll have dynasty strategy sessions. We'll look some more at some of our individual dynasty leagues. We'll go over tactics to attack the Rotobiz Triflex League and give people uh, some behind-the-scenes looks at a few of the things that we're doing. We can't wait for all of that. We also can't wait for the Super Bowl this weekend. So if you have the Bengals or the Rams as your longtime team, then we hope you guys come out on top. We'll have some more content for you later in the week and jump into some more of these best ball dynasty and Super Bowl topics when we get back together with you. That'll do it for this episode of Stealing Bananas. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretchen. Make sure you check out Stealing Signals. Again, if you're on the fence, this is a great time to take that free post. And once you get a little bit of a hit there, you will always come back. We have the new RB Radio discount code for you. At this point, get 10% off by using RB Radio 2022 at checkout. Take a look at the Rotoviz Rookie Guide if you have some interest in that direction. It also has a great discount code in it. So you can save a lot of money, basically make that guide free for you if you're looking at a Rotoviz subscription. If you can't leave us a rating and review, we appreciate everything you guys have done over these last eight months. It's really blown us away. We appreciate all of the support. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get these shows as they come out. Be a little bit of an inconsistent tempo over the next couple of months so you get those shows as soon as they drop when you subscribe to the feed. We appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon.